0: Welcome to the Kinky Cast, a sexually explicit podcast for adults. You are listening to a weekly publication, produced every Friday morning. This is our weekly exploration in the kinky world of BDSM and alternative relationships. Today, we present episode 413, the NCSF Christmas Show, with Susan Wright. Don't forget to stop by our webpage for information about this show and others. KinkyCast.com. Here's your host, Woody.
1: Thanks, Max, and welcome to another edition of The Kinky Cast. It is the special Christmas edition with our annual friend, and often more than that, Susan Wright from the National Coalition of Sexual Freedom. How are you today?
2: I'm fine. How are you doing?
1: All right. You know, we we have to stop meeting like this. Well, we always do anyway. (laughs) It's the end of the year.
2: It's a tradition. (laughs) It is.
1: It's a tradition by now. Every year we talk about things that have gone under the bridge in this fast moving river of sexuality. You have a long list this year.
2: Yes we do. I mean in spite of the fact that the pandemic has really hit our communities hard, uh NCSF has been doing a lot of work this year because we're all volunteer, uh we're able to, you know, keep functioning even though there's not the fundraising that's happening and the parties that are happening. So we've really tried to put this uh the past almost two years to to work for us so we can make strides.
1: Well, and strides you have made. Uh, we had you on earlier this year talking about the model penal code, which we're going to hit again uh, in this one to uh, bring people up to speed on what's going on with our sexualities and the law. Um, so where would you like to start today?
2: Well, sure. Let's, let's hit the model penal code on sexual assault because I think that that impacts anybody who's doing any kind of um, – kinky play, use of force, restraint, power exchange. So, um, and I think that you need to be aware of it now because even though it needs to be adopted by each state to become law, uh, it actually can be introduced in court cases. And we're seeing it introduced in court cases involving any kind of BDSM activity. So you want to know what this new legal framework is for consent to kink.
1: Absolutely. And this really makes us kinksters have kind of a pass away from the traditional sexual abuse people
2: absolutely it's called explicit prior permission and it really is exactly what it sounds like you have to talk about what it is that you're planning to do before you do it uh, you have to arrange a safe word you have to discuss if somebody's gonna protest and say no no like if it's um, in any kind of role play situation and it has to be um, it has to be given for a certain amount of time. Um, you know, permission to do, you know, light slapping in a scene doesn't mean that the next morning your partner can slap you, right? Um, Unless you have that kind of uh, longer contracted agreement of uh, where you can have input, regular input into what's happening. Um, You also have to have a way to stop what's happening at any time. And so this is designed to stop those allegations of, oh, well, they said that they were into rough sex, And so when they came over, I started choking them and had sex with them. No, you have to actually discuss what it is that you're going to do before you do it. And you also have to discuss the extent of it. Um, You know, say if you agree that it's okay to lightly slap you in the face, that doesn't mean you can hit so hard that you cause dental work needing to be done. Um, And no matter what happens, no matter what you negotiate, you can't cause serious physical injury. So this gives us a wonderful pathway to explain to people how you're supposed to do kink because using force and restraint, you have to have this prior discussion as equals because once you start to use that, you know, we know our people's heads kind of go in a different direction. You can get that trance-like state. You can get endorphins flowing and you may not be in your right mind to be able to agree. And, And the law doesn't want people to be forced to agree to activities like that.
1: keeps coming back to that word what is it starts with a C. Oh consent consent. that's it. (laughs) If we don't consent to what we're doing, we're going to go off in a ditch either illegally or we're gonna end up hurting somebody then that you know I didn't want that. It becomes sexual assault then.
2: Yeah absolutely and some people just don't understand what's involved with this. They think oh they need to be Dom Le Dom, master right from the beginning and tell their sub, you know, lead the negotiations. And really ideally, you should be having a back and forth exchange of what both people want and both people are looking for.
1: And that's a really important thing. Regardless of how submissive a person is or or slave-oriented, they have a say in what's going on and they have to consent to the process that they're going to go through. It is not a dictatorial event.
2: You know, you can play the games, which we like to play. It's very exciting, um, but it really has to be self-motivated. Um, you know, there was a period of time there where people were talking about um, uh, pushing limits as if that was the goal of kink, is to push somebody's limits. That's not the goal of kink. Um, and anybody who tells you that is is barking up the wrong tree here. The goal is a self-exploration, and you're supposed to come together to To do it together, you know, and to be able to discuss it, you know, consensus communication, discussing it before, during and after. So NCSF has a ton of tools that can help people look at what's happening and questions that we ask so that you can judge if, if this is, if there's red flags in your relationship that you need to really look about. Uh, is, is, it, is it edging into domestic violence?
1: A related topic to this is the consent policy for groups that you have worked up.
2: Yes. We are seeing that groups really need assistance in dealing with reports of consent violations and, and how do they do that? I mean, each group is kind of recreating the wheel and trying to figure out how do we deal with this? Do we deal with, um, all kinds of reports? Do we deal with reports of emotional abuse and gaslighting? Um, Or do we just stick with um, or do we not deal with anything unless it happens at the group? Well, there's a very there's a there's a good sweet spot in there where you deal with things that are potentially criminal, because those are the things that can involve your group and your members. You can get subpoenaed for if if um, there's an investigation, if there's a court case going on um, and witnesses can be called and outed. So you really need to make sure that if somebody is doing behavior that could be considered criminal, like sexual assault, assault, injuring people, the group has a responsibility to deal with those things because it can impact back on the group and the directors more than anyone else. I mean, they can be personally liable for this. Um, But then when we see groups try to deal with interpersonal disputes and people coming to the group and saying, oh, tell this person to stay away from me that can drag a group into all kinds of horrible things. Uh, You really need to have that balance of helping your members behave like adults and deal with their own issues. Um, And so we've even included in in our new consent policy that a way for members to tell other members to stop contacting them. And then it could become something that the group could deal with if there's a pattern of harassment. So we've really just seen so much of this over the years that we were able to kind of compile it into a sample consent policy and procedures for how to deal with it. Ideally, it's a great idea to have independent people who are not the board members. They're your consent response team who will do the investigation. will go out and ask the questions and gather all the information to bring it back for the board or the owners, the people who have that final responsibility to deal with. But you can also do it where you designate a board member who is, not associated with anybody involved to go out and and be a neutral person to gather the information. And we even have the suggested questions to ask and who to notify and, you know, different, different kinds of sanctions that you can use. I mean, it's not like you're a member or you're banned. I mean, there's all different things in there. Sometimes groups put people on a watch list. Um, Often education is needed. And then if education doesn't work, then you get more strikes where you're leading up to, um, you know. I'm sorry, you're not a good fit for our group, right? And we even tell groups how to do that because we see so many groups being pushed by their members to have a big town hall and talk publicly about consent violations that are criminal in nature. And what that's doing is it's opening groups up to being sued. And so this is a really wonderful impulse to let's air this all out, let's figure out what's happening. But there are certain things that have to be dealt with in a more confidential way. And so by having an established consent policies and procedures, everybody's on the same page. They know how things are being handled. They know what's being dealt with. Uh, They know how to report. And there's various opportunities for reporting. You know, somebody may not want to report to you, but they'd report to me. Or they may not want to report to me, but they'll report to you. So we've kind of covered it all. And it's out there. And it can be adjusted. For your group. So if your group doesn't have a consent policies and procedures, um, NCSF will work with you.
1: That's fantastic. And th- the thing that you mentioned there is when too many people get involved in it that are yelling, yeah, yeah, and you know, there's a lynching uh, that's going to happen after that. Um, too many people are going to make this thing go out of control. And I have been in a situation where that did happen, where people were recruited to check out somebody and it turned into a mob scene.
2: Well, what happened was Metro Vancouver kink is still, uh, even though they had to disband because they were sued, that's still ongoing. And that was a very well-intentioned town hall that they had to discuss the issues. You know, it's the same thing like naming names on FetLife. People get really upset that they can't name names in their post, but we try to say that, well, you can post about it. You just have to share that in a more confidential, the name has to be shared more confidentially. So there's certain legal issues that jeopardize our groups. You know, we don't want to lose our groups. We don't want a volunteer to be sued where they're having to take out an equity line to pay their attorney to defend themselves. Um, But we want member input. So we figure this is a great way to do it. You have membership input on your policies and procedures. And then the people who are empowered to make those decisions by the membership and who have the, the larger liability, are the ones that make the decision based on those policies.
1: Great resources NCSF is always about. There's something that's been in the news lately, and I don't know if all our listeners have heard about it, but it's called stealthing. Can you bring some light to that?
2: Stealthing is the practice of when you're um, having sex, you've agreed to um, have intercourse, and you've agreed to use a condom, and one person removes that condom in the middle of intercourse, often without alerting the other person. That's why it's stealthing, right? It's something that's done stealthily, sneakily. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people that think, well, this is just makes the sex more pleasurable. Um, What it is, is it's a consent violation. It's actually a sexual assault um, because everybody has the right to decide what level of fluid bonding they have with a person. And even if you don't ejaculate inside someone, there are fluids going into someone. It can infect them with an STI. And many states already have, um, laws on their books against knowingly infecting someone with a sexually transmitted infection and, um, stealthing. If, if California does this, they have a law that they're, 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 they want to make just the act of stealthing illegal. And of course, um, they're leaders in this country. We may see other states following following suit and people need to be aware, this is not a minor thing. This is a huge thing. People feel violated when this happens Um, and it can damage people's lives if they're immunocompromised and they get an infection Um, if they don't know what's happened. So they don't know to check to see if they have an infection. I mean, there's certainly, certainly some STIs that you don't even realize that you have. And it can cause damage. And
1: then there's that other little disease you might get called pregnancy.
2: Well, absolutely, and unwanted pregnancy, as we know, can be a huge problem. Now that we're seeing, um, you know, these laws go into effect, who who wants to deal with that? I mean, I don't know, I don't know why anybody thinks it's okay to to potentially have something like that happen. Um, it's a it's a giant betrayal. And uh, that's why people react very strongly when they realize that somebody has removed a condom um, after it's been negotiated.
1: So there's going to be a lot more that we're going to be hearing about this as these laws come on the books.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's heading in the right direction of you have the right to decide, um, you know, how your intimate personal relationships go. You have the right to decide, just like with the model penal code on sexual side, you have the right to decide if you're going to have marks or no marks. Um, You have the right to decide if you're going to be slapped lightly or or medium heavy. You know what I mean? Like, I think that this is is headed in the right direction of self-empowerment. People can choose for themselves and that has to be respected.
1: For some time, you've been running a consent survey uh, from your members. Some new things have come out of that.
2: Yes. You know, we had a, a consent survey in 2020. We unfortunately had to shut it down a little early because the pandemic hit and it was so traumatizing for people that they, we didn't want them asking answering questions about past consent violations. Um, so we had to kind of close it down early, but we still got over 3000 responses and it gave us a lot of good data that we were able to compare to our 2015 consent violation survey. And it's absolutely fascinating. Um, The things that we are learning uh, We're we're, creating all kinds of papers that are being accepted by peer-reviewed journals. So we're actually getting into the the literature and having an effect on the way that our communities are researched. But for example, with the consent survey, we found that, you know, we always ask this question we have since 2012, you know, has your pre-negotiated limits or your safe word been violated safe word or no. And, um, it started out higher in 2012, it dropped in 2015 to 29%, and in this survey, it dropped down to 25.5%, um, which is actually, a, a, you know, that's a that's a drop of, I think it's like 20%. Um, we're hoping that's what's happened is that the consent education that everybody is doing is having an effect. And we think this is true because when you look at the numbers for um, were you touched non-consensually, because we wanted to find out, you know, there's, there's consent violation in a scene, but there's also when you're in a social space and somebody comes up and touches you, especially touches you sexually, um, you know, that's sexual assault. And so we want to track that too. And so we ask our community and they said 24% said that they had been touched non-consensually. But when you compare that to have you ever been touched non-consensually Outside of an alt sex context, outside of a kink or a swing group, and it was fifty-seven percent. It
1: was wow, that's a high more than number.
2: Doubled, yes, and um, I think that this shows that we do have a, a higher standard of consent culture, um, and we are doing better about educating people. And I think really what it's come down to at this point, we were actually seeing more consent violations reported that we're sexual in nature. We've gotten so good at negotiating the kink and the bondage and all of that that we're not negotiating the actual sexual contact as well as we should. Um, so along with negotiating the rope scene and you know whatever else happens in that, you also need to negotiate can you suck can you touch sexually? Will there be oral sex? Will there be intercourse now or in aftercare? we're seeing that whole loophole of aftercare when somebody's really like woo flying high, suddenly the top is saying, "Well, I need aftercare too I need a blow job which is not at all explicit prior permission so um, I think that we need to be talking a little bit more about that aspect that you know we can't just use vanilla methods of negotiating sex which is basically not negotiating it it's snaking the arm around somebody's shoulder like using body language to see if they're interested well when you're using any kind of kink with that that doesn't work you have to negotiate everything up front and i think if we because when we looked at the consent violations it was um the kink stuff was very minor it was really small percentage you know, it wasn't like people are, a lot of people are not consensually spanking somebody or not consensually flogging somebody. Um, it really does come down to the sexual contact, sexual intercourse, oral sex, choking, punching, because some people erroneously think that that punching is just something you do to somebody who's kinky, which it's not. It's It's something you have to negotiate extremely thoroughly because of the risk of serious physical injury
1: you know back when i was a teenager which was a thousand years ago the only guidance we had for um what i will call sexual progression you know learning how to have sex was uh talk in the schoolyard you know and uh it's it's how to get to first base how to get to second base which is uh first off it's it's forcing your way in uh you know sitting at a drive in and and well, they don't have drive ins anymore but uh stinking your arm around the shoulder that you were saying and trying to steal a kiss those sorts of things they're innocent in a certain way but they're taboo in today's society they are taboo
2: yeah it's it's an a- anachronism um the, and it really does go back to the lack of bodily autonomy that we're just so imposed on our bodies are just so imposed on in so many different ways that we don't even draw we we didn't even draw lines around our sexuality but yet yeah, today um no. It, it really should be affirmative, enthusiastic consent. Um, I really think that anybody, even if they're just having, going to go home and have sex, vanilla sex, why not talk about it at dessert? Why not actually discuss it firsthand? You know, talk about not just protection, but what you like, what you don't like. I mean, that's foreplay for us. I think we're on to something with this whole talking about it before we do it. That's what kind of leads to the real building excitement.
1: Today I love doing that, but it it's terrifying for somebody that's never done it.
2: Yeah, because we're not taught how to talk about sex. We, we are not. Period. Sex Period. education
1: doesn't exist.
2: Yeah, no, that's why people have this newbie frenzy when they come into the community because they suddenly can give voice. They're they're taught how to talk about these desires that they've had and um that they haven't even really been able to like acknowledge because they don't have the words for it. And so people get super excited to suddenly find people who are like-minded and who are teaching them how to talk about sex and how to communicate about sex. I think that old sneaking the arm around and stealing a kiss was, it was predicated on the idea of you might get turned down if you actually openly discuss something. And I think that we become more aware that get turned down. If if somebody doesn't want it, it's much better to just get turned down.
1: Well, to think you're going to flip somebody and in, uh, in that short of time is just naive.
2: Yeah, it's it's there's uh, there are vulnerable people out there as well. We have to look at the fact that some people have been traumatized and betrayed before. Um, they may not have learned how to draw their boundaries as well. I mean, that's one thing we're also teaching people boundaries. Who knows about that? You know, who's not kinky, <laughs> right? Um, setting your own limits. I mean, we don't talk about that. So when we get people into our communities who have had this past trauma, it's even more difficult for them to be able to do that, which is why we're all responsible. So that's why I say when you're in a group setting, if I see somebody new, I always go and talk to them. I always introduce them to other key volunteers. I don't want a newbie to be swept up by somebody who is um, not thinking about the community's welfare. You know, we really have to think about this as a community. We're responsible for each other. Nobody else is looking out for us.
1: Within the alt-sex community, we have classes on consent and uh, identifying who you are and what you're into and training for various kinks. In the vanilla world where that high rate of uh, sexual assault takes place, there's nothing like this. Mm -hmm. How do we get that word out to the rest of the world?
2: I would love to see PSAs. Um, I think that now that we have um, altered the American Psychiatric Association, who were calling us mentally ill, now we've worked on the model penal code on sexual assault, and there's a legal framework in there. I mean, that was always this the stigma, the basis of the stigma against us. And we've really battled that back to show, no, we're actually far more thoughtful and more aware. And, um, and more considerate of our partners. And so I would like to start seeing PSAs that they go, you know, um, uh, like th- about choking, for example. Don't choke somebody, it's it can be very dangerous. You can kill somebody when you're playing the choking game. You know, you think it's all funny, ha ha. Um, no, it's the highest risk thing that we do. Um, if you're going to have sex with somebody, make sure and talk to them first, you know, build that rapport with them. Um, You have much better sex with somebody when you are on the same page than if you're trying to figure it out while you're actually having sex. Um, You know, just, I would love to see more of this education get out there. And, you know, certainly we've been doing that. Fifty Shades of Grey was, in a lot of ways, a very bad example of what we are, but it created the opportunity for people to speak out about consent. And the way the media covered us before and after was completely different. I firmly believe that that led, these public discussions of consent helped lead to the resurgence of the Me Too movement because we started having a kind of a societal vocabulary that came out of this silly bodice ripper romance, right? But without that, and without a whole bunch of trained kinksters who were willing to speak out and talk about consent, um, I'm not sure if we would have had the framework and the ground laid for talking about the fact that, I mean, you know, the casting couch used to be this giant joke and
1: it wasn't a joke.
2: It was, it's not, it was a horrific, horrific thing that was happening on a daily basis where gatekeepers were controlling access. Mm -hmm. And now we see it for what it is. And that took a societal transformation to be able to grasp that.
1: Absolutely. And you know, for all the people that uh, were in a position of hiring models for projects and but, you know, you can't get this job unless you help me out sort of thing. Awesome. That goes on. It still goes on. And it's it's sad. But it's I, really I, sad. I think people are more uh, far more aware now. And anybody that tries that is going to end up in a, a lawsuit somehow.
2: Well, that's how I got into... Becoming an activist, I was actually discriminated against very early on. I had just joined the community and I was working with a publisher to sell a book. It was a little publisher and um, he found out I was involved in the kink community. I was in a triad at the time. And he told me that since I was dating this couple, I I should be able to date him. And I, I just like everything rose up in me. I was just like, no way. No way. I got up and walked out of there, and I realized then that I, I just I wasn't going to be closeted because it completely caught me off guard. Uh, somebody had outed me to do that and um, and I realized I knew I knew then what was happening, and that set me off on my path as an activist.
1: And somebody less strong than you might have given into it.:
2: I, I'm sure because like if you had needed the money more than I needed it. You know what I mean? If I had already had enough training on safe, sane and consensual and setting my own limits, and I was practically euphoric at that moment, realizing the power and control I had over my own life. So I credit the the training and the education I got in the kink community. Even, I think it was like eight months. I mean, it wasn't even that long, but it was enough.
1: Wow. So many things going on. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: We talked about resources earlier. You have a bunch of new resources out.
2: Yeah, because of this explicit prior permission, um, now that we have the new legal framework, we're able to revise our best practices for consent to kink and um, lay out best practices, which is don't renegotiate in the middle of a scene. You know, rene- you know negotiate as equals before you start.
1: W- without inhibition.
2: Right, exactly. You can't be coerced or forced into this. Um, and it, it's good not to be enrolled when you're doing this, because if somebody's in a submissive role and somebody's in a dominant role while you're trying to negotiate, there's already elements of coercion in that, right? Um, and things like, you know, you having to agree to who's involved. We see consent violations happen because uh, a partner come in into, and into the middle of a scene and think, oh, because this is my partner, I can get involved when the other person in the scene hasn't agreed. Um, so the best practices, we have best practices for consent to kink. And then we have best practices for consent to non-monogamy as well, because we have people questioning, you know, veto power. Is that ethical? Um, Can I decide who my partner sees, right? Um, Other things like, well, what happens if my partner's making decisions that involves me, like deciding to tear down a fluid barrier, right? And And I'm fluid partnered with that person. So we have a series of questions that you can ask to find out, are you kind of being pushed in um, beyond what you really want? So we have the best practices. We also have, um, you know, our brochures. We've revised our brochures. We're in the middle of doing that, but our got consent for kink has been revised to include um, explicit prior permission. Our got consent for non-monogamy. We actually also revised our finding a kink and polyamory aware therapist uh, to update it to, what we're seeing now in terms of, you know, mental health professionals, a lot of them are more educated about kink. And so how do you figure out um, what level of kink awareness, kink friendliness you need in your therapist? What questions to ask? We're working on one right now for medical professionals. So we're revising everything, getting it all up there for people to see. And of course you can order our brochures for free on our materials page.
1: And that's an important thing. I've seen your brochures in uh, public play spaces and things like that, which is great, but they really need to make it out into the mass public. And so anybody listening here that you want brochures to put out within your groups, uh, NCSF, national, well, ncsfreedom.org is the place to go. And that will be on our show page And also all these resources will be listed out there so that you can find all the current stuff that's going on with this great organization.
2: Yeah, and on social media, we've started doing the hashtag NCS Freedom uh, to kind of highlight so you can search for that and find our latest stuff as well.
1: One of the groups that you're focusing on right now is more diversity and inclusion. How's that working?
2: Absolutely. You know, just like what we did for groups with consent we're looking at doing with diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. Because so many, um, we see so many more issues between people who have intersectional identities. And that means people who are transgender and kinky, people who are um, uh, black and uh, a swinger, right? Um, We see the issues that people have Um, with marginalization, discrimination, oppression, with those identities mixed with the kink and the non-monogamy, and it's just exponentially worse. So we realize that we really need to make sure that our communities are reaching a diverse population because the people who might need us the most are not getting this information. And so we've um, started a number of initiatives. Um, Starting four years ago, five years ago, we started getting as a board diversity trainings. And started adopting, you know, from different people each year, we we were getting diversity trainings to, to do brainstorming around what it is that we needed to do. Um, and so we've, we've been coming up with things that we're hoping that we can lay out for groups so that they can do the same thing. For example, at every single board meeting, we have a diversity moment. And what we do is one of our board members the month before uh, says that they're going to do the, the diversity moment. and um, We speak from our own experience, um, from our own intersectional identities. And so that makes it very personal, it makes it very powerful, and it opens up a conversation and we spend a good part of that board meeting discussing these things. Um, It helps us relate better to each other as board members, have a better board culture. We've realized that's important too. You need to have civility, you need to have respect, you need to have agreements as a board to, to be able to function well together. And this is just one part of that. We're also highlighting every month. You know, for example, November was transgender awareness. Um, there was actually a transgender awareness week. We expanded it to a month. And what we did was interviews with people who talked about this issue, like little short videos that you can go and watch. And we post them on our Amplify Voices page. And um, so we do this for each month in in trying to amplify these more marginalized voices. Um, you know, we change our logo, you know, like we put the transgender flag on the NCSF logo and, um, and then we put all this on our, our webpage so people can go there and, and see these things, see how people are being impacted. Um, and of course all kinds of other things, like make sure every one of your images, I mean, look at your images that you're putting out there. If you as a party are constantly putting out images of a submissive white female, with a white dominant man, that's who you're gonna to get to your parties, right? You need to make sure you have a much more diverse um, image uh, library and be putting it out there because people need to see themselves to feel comfortable, to feel comfortable going. So if you have um, a bunch of people who are non-binary gender, you know, who are smiling and friendly, that's gonna make people who are non-binary gender feel much more comfortable about coming to your group. They'll look at those images and go, oh yes, um, this this may be a place I'll feel more comfortable. So things like we're revising all of our postcards and we're putting our consent signs on on the front of the postcards to make sure that they're all diverse and reaching different groups, you know, we've got six different postcards for six different communities, and we have different images for within that community, you really do have to be that thoughtful about your outreach and your language. um, And make sure that you are including people in committees, and then raising them up to leadership positions. It's no good if you don't have a diverse leadership. Um, And we really feel that that's That's just helped NCSF so much move forward in our work. And I know that you can't have sexual freedom unless um, we have, you know, freedom for all people.
1: We've had a number of guests on the show over the last couple of years. Um, Two years ago, we had uh, a black gentleman on who talked about uh, being in the, er, he talked about going to parties and he felt that they weren't inclusive and he felt uncomfortable being there, but he would prefer to go to a party of people that looked like him. And uh, this is just a thing. People are attracted to who they are. Unless you act, actively work at crossing lines and reaching out and offering a helping hand, a handshake, a friendly smile to other people. Uh, I have often wondered why gay communities and kink communities don't work closer together because we're trying to fight for the same things, but it is one of those things where like attracts like.
2: Yeah. And I think it's, it's, there are groups out there that are serving these more marginalized communities, you know, um, but we as, we need to make sure that we're networking with these groups, you know, that we're helping them, you know, why not do a joint party? Or a joint educational workshop, you know, so that your members are exposed to their members, their members are exposed to your members. I really would love to see our groups working more together. Um, once we really started looking around, we, there's, we found all kinds of groups, you know. It's just they weren't on our radar. And that is our fault.
1: Very well said. So as we go into the new year, we have a couple things coming up. And in February, February 14th, it's Valentine's Day, all the happy people, you know, red roses and and jewelry and all that stuff happens. And then there's the metamores out there, the ones that kind of get left out of that Valentine's Day. How's that work?
2: So we created Metamore Day in February. Yeah, February 28th.
1: Let's see, that's February 14th times two. Yes. All right.
2: (laughs) More love, right? Yeah. Because yeah, Valentine's Day is a very traditional couples holiday. And it's very uh, traditional in terms of romantic ideals. And really, polyamory is challenging all of that. Um, The idea that one person can satisfy everything in your life. The fact that, you know, the expectations that come with that, you know, trying to have somebody fit your idea of what you wanted rather than finding out what kind of relationship can you build with this person organically? And I think Metamore Day really perfectly encapsulates that of respecting your partner's other partners and highlighting the fact that these are important people because they're important people to your partner, right? So uh, not everybody wants kitchen table polyamory where they sit down with all their metamors. Some people don't want a relationship at all with their metamors. but I think that by honoring our metamores, even if it's just for the day, like, yes, I'm a metamore, I honor my other metamores, I think that keeps us aware of um, this different paradigm that we're trying to build in society, which is non-monogamy, which honestly, so many kinky people are non-monogamous, it kind of goes hand in hand, Um, as well as there's a large number of what I call the vanilla polys, (laughs) who are polyamorous without being kinky. (laughs)
1: It's it's getting more popular.
2: It's it super popular. We see it so much more in the media. I mean, if you want to want to track this, you can sign up for our media updates because we put out our um, articles about kink and polyamory. And it's just polyamory has just gone, gone crazy. And I think it's because it is uh, just a new way of thinking about relationships. It's just not so confining. It's not, I mean... You don't want to have to give up your primary relationship, who you might have kids with, your nesting partner, just because you want to expand and have more experiences in your life. And I think if people can start to see the benefits of polyamory and not just the scariness, you know what I mean? Not the stereotypes and the jealousy. It always comes back to jealousy. Um, as far as I'm concerned, if you're you have the same amount of jealousy no matter what your relationship structure is, right? Um, if you don't deal with it, it's never going to go
1: away. Jealousy, and then you add envy in uh, with uh, Polly, and that's envy of time spent with other people and that sort of stuff. And it, it can be toxic if it's allowed to get toxic, you know, so the, the pivot person has to work harder.
2: And I think that it tells you that there might be issues that you need to discuss. Absolutely. There might be underlying yeah. things. Um, I mean, really, if it comes down to, I just don't like it that you cancel dates at the last minute, you know, that's not jealousy or envy. That's something else, even though it's being expressed as jealousy. Um, So I think it just forces you to actually really think about what's happening, thinking about what you feel. A lot of us just don't feel what we feel um, because we're just taught not to, not to pay attention to our bodies, not to pay attention to what's happening inside of us. But um, being polyamorous is a great way to be able to um, to live your life, address your relationships,
1: grow. Open your mind and talk about it. Turn off the fear and talk about what's eating you. Exactly.
2: And, it, you know, we, we hear of relationships that don't work once they transition to polyamory. I don't know if it's the polyamory. <laughs> it could just be that's... Um, that's a way to actually start talking about the issues in your relationship and figuring out if this is working for you or not. I've been in a polyamorous relationship with my husband for 27 years.
1: And it can work very well. And it can be, it can serve a lot of people in ways that they haven't been able to be served.
2: Exactly. You, you I just look at it as you, we form our own relationship. There's times that we're not polyamorous, you know, we're not actively because our relationship demands it. There's times that we are because that's uh, we have that freedom and we have that privilege to be able to do that. Some people don't have
1: that. And then coming up in March, you've got a big day.
2: Yes, we have our coalition partner meeting. It's our annual meeting. Um, all of our coalition partners, if you're a member of NCSF, if you're a member of one of our coalition partner groups, we have almost 100 uh, coalition partner groups and businesses um, then you can attend our annual meeting. And this is big for us because we are a true grassroots organization. We take our direction from the coalition partners. They elect our board. They tell us what they want us to be working on. Um, a lot of the changes that happened this year, which we've done a lot, have come out of suggestions uh, from at our annual meeting. And it's all online, which is lovely because I think it's actually helped access. You don't have to actually buy a plane ticket and get to an in-person meeting. So, I really actually think that going virtual for this has helped us tremendously.
1: And anybody that wants to be a coalition partner can inquire through the ncsfreedom.org website and learn a lot more about it.
2: Yeah, it's great. We want more members. We will waive the membership fee of $100 if you need, because we understand people are suffering in the pandemic. Um, it, and it's important for us all to really be a strong community right now because we don't know what's coming but we do know we have to like work together to get the word out about the new model penal code on sexual assault to make sure that our folks understand the legal framework understand explicit prior permission and make sure that law enforcement is handling
1: it correctly as well as the courts the stronger we are as a community and as an organization the more work we can get done absolutely fantastic susan thank you for joining us for the christmas show every year we certainly hope this will go on for a long time and you always bring a lot to what has been going on in the world to our end of the year show thank you
2: well i'm so glad that we do this it's our annual tradition it's become christmas for me <laughs> we'll
1: get together on christmas
2: exactly. You know. eggnog yeah, exactly <laughs> little tree in the background
1: <laughs> the tree behind me is a, is a cross but you know <laughs>
2: exactly. whatever works
1: Susan, thank you so much. We will talk to you soon. All right.
2: Thank you so much for having me
0: on. You have been listening to The Kinky Cast. For more information about this show, go to kinkycast.com. Views expressed are not representative of the management of The Kinky Cast. And we welcome guests with opposing viewpoints. The Kinky Cast is a production of Rooster in the Round. On behalf of all our kinky crew, I'm Max.